Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 273, and I had a conversation with Cliff Oxford a million years ago. We actually did this conversation last March, um, but as I've mentioned before, my queue was so long because I thought I was going to be out of town for a big project, and that project keeps getting pushed forward. So I had all these episodes that I had recorded and uh, Cliff has been very patient, I hope, (laughs) in my getting this out for you to hear. He is an author, uh, an entrepreneur. I'll read you his little blurb here. He's a history and political science double major who built an Inc. 13 company from scratch. He went on to win Atlanta Entrepreneur of the Year Award and landed the highly coveted spot as visionary and execution leader in the Gartner Group Magic Quadrant. I actually don't know what that last part means, but to be an execution leader sounds slightly terrifying but I'm sure it's a big, good business thing. (laughs) Uh, Cliff's written uh, for the New York Times and Forbes. He's authored three books. We're going to be talking on this episode about one in particular, but he's written a book called No Grow Exit, Lambs and Leaders. And the one we're going to be speaking on is called Redneck Reverie, The Rationale for the Trump Phenomenon. Now, he is a self-described redneck, Cliff is, and this is a really good conversation, I think, because uh, it's, not, it's not a heated debate on whether Trump is good or bad or, or any of that stuff. It really focuses in on what his appeal was to his audience, uh, what is going on in middle of America, in swampland America, you know, in the places where... Politics really isn't the thing. The thing is family and and hope and trying to just to survive day to day. I mean, I'm not, I'm on the West Coast and I can't tell you how many people I know that have three jobs just trying to make ends meet. So it's I don't I think there's a lot of emphasis and effort spent on telling us that we are all so different. Uh, But the truth of the matter, in my humble opinion, is that we aren't. And in fact, we're all just trying to hang on for dear life these days. It seems like, you know, feed our families and live a good, decent life for our family and our friends and the people we love. And um, yeah, anyway, I'm sort of going on a tangent here. But I did really appreciate the fact that, that Cliff had a... His observations come from a really stable, loving, grounded space, which I appreciate. Uh, so anyway, I I know that you will find this interesting. Uh, I personally ordered Redneck uh, Reverie, and I ordered it for a couple of friends as well. And when I had this conversation with Cliff, I had not yet read the book, but I think, as you're going to find out when you hear it, that you will find yourself wanting to read it, as I did. All right. Hey Human Podcast can be found on social media under Facebook and Instagram. My personal social media is under Susan Ruthism, and that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, You can go to heyhumanpodcast.com and get all sorts of information about the show. 
uh, including the links page where there is lots of information about every guest I've ever had on the show, books, articles, deep dives, things like that, all the social medias for each guest, that kind of stuff. So definitely check that out. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If nothing else, that is a humongous, bonus, helpful, super cool thing to do. So please do it. Take four minutes and write a review and help outsmart the algorithms. Okay, thank you for that. You can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I answer every email and I would love to hear from you. If you are into music, go to Spotify or iTunes and or Amazon Play or any of the places these days I suppose you can get music and look for Susan Ruth and you will find me. My most recent album from six years ago is All I Ever Wanted Was Everything, but I am making new music as we speak. It's in the process and we'll keep you posted on that. Speaking of music from Hadley Canary, her new single Possession of Pain is out everywhere. I wrote it with Hadley. I'm really proud of that song. So go check that out wherever you find music. Hadley, H-A-D-L-E-Y, Canary, K-E-N-N-A-R-Y. So it's a great song. I also just met a new artist, a young woman who goes by DSL and her single, Poof, is going to be coming out soon. So I'll keep you posted on that. I really dug her. She's a cool chick. Always good to support independent artists. It's a crazy world out there for the creative and where you can, you want to lift them up. I think I mentioned last week that I went to go see Val documentary. Uh, my friend, one of my friends, Brad, is one of the producers, and it's about Val Kilmer. It's so good. It will be on Amazon starting August 6th, which is the day after this episode comes out. So definitely check that out. And this Friday is the premiere of my friend Andrea James's movie Whirly Bird. It's a documentary set in the 80s and 90s of Los Angeles. I'm just going to read its little blurb here. A couple revolutionized breaking news with their brazen helicopter reporting. Called from the duo's video archive, it's an LA story of a family in turbulence hovering over a city unhinged. I love documentaries. Big big, big fan. So as I mentioned before, this is an ad-free podcast and your support is super helpful because I don't sell ad space. If you'd like to support Hey Human Podcast, there is a button there on heyhumanpodcast.com where you can do so. It's right at the top of the front page and I would appreciate that. Also on that page is the store. Get yourself a t-shirt, a hat, a mask, a pencil case, there's artwork, there is tote bags that are super duper cool, uh, and it, it really helps support Hey Human. So do that too. Okay. Um, I have not watched any new shows. I am reading a book called Manifest Now that Tevin Tavares had recommended. He was a guest a few months back on the show, so I'm reading it, and it's really good. And I just finished the Alan Arkin book, An Improvised Life. It's exceptional. Really dug it. And I feel like there was some other book I just finished, but um, it's not springing to mind, so I'll talk about it next week when I remember. Okay, thanks for listening. Here we go. Cliff Oxford, welcome to Hey Human. I love the title. I love the... It, that got my interest <laughs> when I first looked at it, because I'm a big anthropology nut, so I like anthropology, so Hey Human was very appealing. 
Well, good. Where do you hail from? I am right now, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, but I actually grew up in, if that's what you're asking, I grew up in Southern Georgia in the Okie Pinokie Swamp. Okay. Made famous by a song or two. (laughs) Yeah, there's a song or two about that. Yes, there is. Uh, Both of them country songs, but um, yes. And Burt Reynolds was actually born there on his way to the, back home to FSU. His parents were living in Tallahassee, but um, we don't have many claims of fame, but we have made a couple of songs. Growing up in the Swamplands, uh, very different than it is today. Uh, And when we were growing up there, you did not have meth, you did not have the what amounts to deserted hinterlands, um, you had um, people that had jobs and hope. Now, you didn't have culture as what you know as culture. You know, we didn't play the you know, classical music. We didn't have wine with our dinner. But it was really kind of what I would call country sunshine. And that country sunshine today is community squalor. It's totally, totally transformed. So when you were a kid, there was a greater sense of of your neighbor and being a part of something. Yeah, uh, certainly. And there were standards that you respected. There was a respect, I think, I don't see today. And, and, And then in the book, I go into, you know, people ask, and and the book is not pro-Trump or anti-Trump. It's nothing to do with it. The book is people ask, how can they vote for this man? And what I talk about is the climate and conditions that created Trump, and Trump can come and go. It's really going to have no impact on the climate and conditions. Um, So that was the purpose of the book is when you've gone now, I actually think I've traveled to third world countries, and in many ways, they are ahead of the rural areas today in our country because they don't have the the math, they don't have the bad fast food. You know, they, they still got to get out and get exercise. There's you know, there's redeeming qualities about when you are out there surviving on the land. Uh, that's not what they're doing any longer uh, in the so-called red regions. They are out there angry because the American dream was taken away from them. Well, before we dig into uh, your book, which is Redneck Reverie, I want to talk about the, the transition that you saw. What do you think? Because everything piles upon itself to create the perfect storm for what is going on now politically in this country. So building from what, where did you see a transition start to take place? Well, you know, it it started taking place, um, if I had to go way back, in the late 70s where there was a big urge to kill inflation. And inflation was driven by wages. And... In those communities, 
nobody's going to get rich. Nobody's going to have a big house, a mansion, but they could make $20 an hour and have a, you know, and not live in a trailer park and uh, maybe go on a vacation. I mean, it was, um, and that was because wages had risen and you were doing a lot of manufacturing here. Um, And when they said kill inflation, uh, what they meant was kill wages. And you go back to the early 80s when uh, Reagan was elected and he uh, fired the air traffic controllers. That pretty much put labor on notice. So long story short, it really came about. And because they did those two things, that really came about with NAFTA. We used, you basically signed a trade agreement and said, okay, you, you're going to compete against somebody making a dollar an hour. So let's see which one they choose. You at 20 or them at a dollar. Now, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm, I, I say in the book, I built a, a global technology company that greatly benefited from global trade. My point is that we shouldn't have, we should have global trade, but those conditions they put in the, glo- the trade agreements were written to drive wages, you know, down by two thirds. And that's what, that's what really did it. Do you think it was one of those things where people woke up one day and said, what the hell is going on? Or was the impact, especially there, because if you're already starting with a rural poor community one would imagine that the impact you feel it more instantly than say in the middle class which is now no longer the middle class you know that was a slow seepage well that's a good question um it it didn't happen as fast as it should and I, i i write in the book that you're talking about a people that were apolitical immobile and i mean and they they didn't have, you know, the the material standards that you may think of. So the, it didn't happen as fast as, you know, it wasn't like the next day the kids didn't go to private school because they, they were not going to private school anyway. Um, and uh, so it, it took a lot longer than it should have. And that's a very good question and a point. You know, they should have done it. But I, I write in the book that the people in these areas, they want to be left alone. They want a job and they want to be left alone. And if you got a dictator in Washington, that's fine with them. If, as long as they got a job and you leave them alone. It's, and that's why they were picked on. And that's why they didn't do much about it after they were. It's an interesting thought. Uh, the whole idea of I'll just keep my head down. It's a, to me that feels like a real disconnect from humanity. If I am, I have my tribe, which is the people around me, maybe my immediate relatives. And then one step out, my friends and two steps out, my boss and the people I work with. And then there's the church. So those things combined create its own world. It's weird to me, of course, because I grew up, you know, Pacific Northwest, where it's a it's a global Seattle's a very global port, right? right? That 
that you have a strong sense of people in Africa. You have a strong sense of people in Texas. You have a, you know, that it's a real global understanding of the world. Uh, I'm just curious because humans by nature are curious. Why is it that they didn't ever want to step out of that? And did that become, they became prey in that sense? They did become prey. And the people who, did this, the campaign contributors, basically, to get this done, they had to go buy off the Democrats, um, which, if you look in the 80s, had a hard time financing their congressional campaigns. But the money flows in today because Washington, Wall Street basically said, we can buy off the Democrats with, uh, with, with the system we have. So it was very intentional. Uh, they knew exactly what they were doing. And, you know, I mean, I go into the subculture that drives these decisions to be very insular. If you look at what drives terrorists in, uh, from Syria, a lot of it is there's no exposure outside of that world. And the same thing with the person in the swamp or it's not just a swamp you know even in the pacific northwest there's timber towns in oregon 100 percent, yes that's correct uh, that's yeah. just as insular when yeah, i was doing absolutely. research for my book i was amazed at how similar they are and you know that gets into a whole cultural discussion you know in georgia we we were come we basically came from we were the rejects of Ireland and then get pushed into the swamp. We were the rejects of the rejects. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you learned, you know, it's very complex. The question, the point on this is why are they so insular? It's an inferiority. It's an insecurity. It's those fancy people with suits on. Um, I'm not good enough to be with them. You know, that's a that's some of it there. So it's, um, uh, you know, and oh yeah, I didn't, you know, people don't leave their county, much less go to Atlanta or, or Jacksonville or somewhere even remote like that. So. But the other thing, the, uh, you see the same thing. I, I have a lot of friends, uh, Kimberly Jones, you made Kimberly is an activist in Black Lives Matter. And she told me, uh, you know, many in the urban community don't leave their project. They don't go outside of three blocks mm -hmm. until they're 18. Um, so, and, 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 and the conditions in the urban community, uh, I won't say is the same as the rural because the rural is much worse now. The rural is much worse than the urban community, but it's the same kind of, you see the same kind of decay. Humans are humans at the end of the day. It is interesting how easily we believe when the powers that be, when government tells us our voice doesn't matter. Uh, when schools say you're stupid, you know, when church says you sin, 
that we take on these rocks and throw them in our backpack and it just weighs us down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, there, there, there's a lot, to, but the, the people are in a tremendous mess for lack of a better word. And you know what? Uh, the Trump thing is that he's not you. He may be bad. He may do all this, but he's not you. You being the fancy suits in Washington. Which is so bizarre to me because he's absolutely <laughs> bad, but he's really great. At, he was, I'll give him this. He, he and his people were great at figuring out exactly how to talk to people that they could really give a shit about, but make it sound like they did. It's, it was such a level of, of smoke and mirrors and the great and powerful Oz combo. You're right. I mean, you know, if you look at what Trump can really do well, I mean, if you, I'm looking at his business career because he had a horrible business career in many ways, but he can do PR and marketing. Uh, and he's pretty good at it. You know, not just yep. pretty, he can be a genius at it. Yeah. So uh, he saw... You know, when I went into technology, I found an underserved customer group. And what Trump did was find an underserved voter group. Right. And uh, so that's uh, a lot of his phenomenon. And that's what I go through when I say the Trump phenomenon. I think many people in the media took that as I meant phenomenon as wonderful. It's it, the phenomenon is not that it's what it was the conditions that created that. Mm -hmm. I really, my hair was blown back when I saw the golden effigy, the golden calf of Trump being paraded through the CPAC. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, one quick thing on that. Um, those people are activists and they're in the, they're in the fringes of the right wing and, the people that those 2.8 million people that elected Trump okay, in 2016 that hadn't voted in four of the five last ele elections are not those people at CPAC. Right. That's a special and, kind of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah, for real. Absolutely fascinating. Very fascinating. Very, very fascinating. But, um, um, but you know, even growing up, being in that culture, um, a person like Trump, a celebrity could uh, fascinate those people pretty easily. So he had all the right stuff for this oh, yeah. particular for this particular role. Well, nationwide, also, and I would argue worldwide, we are worshiping of celebrity superseded anything else. So I think at some point we jumped the shark from. Who cares anymore? Let's just watch something that's going to be titillating, whatever that means. That that, that that's uh, that's exactly right. So, um, well, let's get into the book. What what uh, sparked that? What just made you decide to write it? Well, what made me decide to write it is I, I saw this economic coup that happened, and I understand what happened over a, a forty year period of time that went that reversed everything to to community squalor and with Trump leading it. I, but also, uh, you know, uh, taking a company public, I endowed the program at Emory University. So I had 
and I work with a, a lot on Wall Street. Um, uh, I was on the other side of the table from them, but I work closely with the people on Wall Street. Then I'm, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, in Lebanon and Syria and everywhere. And uh, so I, I had a, a great amount of time to spend time with the you know royal family in Saudi Arabia. So I, I saw both sides of the world, the elite side and the, uh, let's call it the swamp side for, for clarity. Um, and in fact, in the book, I never referred to anybody as a redneck but me, by the way. I, 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 that was the only person I called a redneck in the book. Um, the, uh, and I, I saw it from both sides of the fence, and I didn't think anybody was telling them the story that had seen both sides and explained what happened and why are these people so loyal to Trump? And my question is, you know, look how serious we got over COVID. And COVID has been around one year. If somebody did this to your community, any of us would be upset and looking for an answer after 40 years. And we'd be and we would be desperate for an answer. Um because it is a it is a desperate situation in an area that was um, intentionally taken apart by by wages, and you're talking about a people who couldn't go next. There was not another job, you know, in the next city, and they don't want to. You know, they want to be home by three thirty and do their thing. So there's enough blame to go around. You mean it's, it's as much the, the fault of the people that are, is that what you're saying? I'm well, just trying to clarify. I'm, saying, I'm saying there's enough. I'm not saying it is as much. Um, they, they could have um, done a lot of things differently in the trade agreements to actually even improve the areas. But you're sure. talking about a stock market from 1970 to 1980 I think it went up one-tenth of one percent, and that was the problem they had to solve. You know, I, I look at communities like this, and there but for the grace of God, as they say, but I think about, say, an Amish community, which is quite insular and functions outside of the norm and outside of the, the zeitgeist and outside of everything and everyone, and yet that's a truly functioning society. You know, so yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But but they were they have built their own um, existence and their own trades. Uh, these people worked at a factory. Right. And I'll give you a good example. Uh, the railroad, and I give the example in the book. No one dropped out of high school when I was going to high school. Nobody dropped out of high school. It was it was extraordinarily rare. And nobody was hardly did drugs because when you turned 18, you went, got a job at the railroad. You needed a high school education and a clean drug test. That was the hope of the future. I'm going to have a bass boat, a four wheel drive and a house not on wheels. So you had hope when that hope left town, 
the high, the dropout rate today is as much as 34%. Um, the uh, uh, person who's a principal who went to high school with me, she told me, Cliff, I'm not worried about the students as much as I'm worried about their parents on math. The parents are the ones I'm worried about. So it, it is a very dire situation. So what I'm seeing is you had this person totally dependent upon that seven to three thirty job. Mm-hmm. And when you take hope away from people, there's really nothing left for them. And the war on drugs clearly was a joke and in fact flooded America with drugs. Oh yeah. Well, that was, that was so many bad decisions in that. Um, we just, it, we could have done anything the opposite and it would have worked. It would have worked better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it is. Um, so you're, you're talking about a group of people that um, if you will, were hooked on one job and had very little ability and skill set to get another one. Yeah. Is there an answer to that? Or is it, have we, have we gone too far at this point? To well, get I wrote a chapter. My final chapter was the solution because I just didn't want to explain the problem, which we did. I wanted to be a solution. And I wrote that and said, number one, uh, there's no such things as tax cuts and all that. There's nothing to cut. There's no taxes to cut. Um, there's no incentives to give people. It's going to take big checks to go in and rebuild those communities and give people that hope back. And, you know, it would take an ambitious, creative leader, but it could be done where they, you know, tie this into green renewables, whatever it is, you've got to get these people back working again, because here is the situation. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt cut a deal with these people. You vote Democrat, I'll keep your job. I'll get you a job. And he knew he was a very brilliant man, obviously. And, and that was the deal. They voted Democrat and they had a job uh, that they could you know, and have a decent standard of living by. Well, uh, and I, I go into detail in the book about who undid that contract. There was a specific group of globalists that said, we can do this. And oh, by the way, Nancy Pelosi's husband is a Wall Street banker, and he was the connection into Wall Street to funnel the Democratic campaigns. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was just Coincidence that his wife became speaker. Um, <laughs> you can find that, I think, amongst many politicians. If you see the big money attached to them within their spouse group, yes, it's, yes. So it's across the board. There's so many now. Yeah. So you know, in the book, I, I, I look. I, I, I probably vote the D side more than the R side, although I vote both ways. But I probably vote the D side. But I'm not a Democrat because. Um, I blame them in the book because that was the soul of their party. Mm-hmm. The Republicans never had that theory. That, that, that was never their theory. It's, it's funny how Trump, they wound up with Trump in the Republican Party. Yeah, it, well, he did. He, he chose to be, he used to be a Democrat. So we all, Democrat, we all know that. But the Democrats sold out their soul 
when they cut those trade deals without labor standards, environmental standards, they sold their soul out. And the globalists knew a Democrat had to do it. If a Republican had brought this, the Democrats would have been all against it. But just like Nixon went to Red China and got the, this was getting a Democrat and that was Bill Clinton. And you can take the Clinton, you can take Clinton. uh, There was a meeting where he went before he ran as he was a governor of Arkansas and his, I don't know this, but I'm pretty sure his pitch was, I can get you this, I can get you these agreements. Because he went after NAFTA, you know, very, very hard. He sold everything out. So um, <clears throat> so there's enough blame to go around. And then you had these apolitical people who could have cared, you know, they don't, they want to be left alone. They want a job. Well, it seems like such an easy fix. Let's lay off a little bit of defense and just bring education to these towns, teach them how to work in the, you know, the battery car industry and the, the, the wave of the future, solar energy, wind power. Uh, you know, there's so many things. It, there, are, there are nations that, in, that have a history of giving money to its citizens to take them out of poverty and put them in a place where they can then function and move forward. We have that capacity. We certainly, and money is such an arbitrary argument because it's really smoke. That too is smoke and mirrors. Yeah, it, it, it seems that way from how they're printing <laughs> lately. It certainly seems mm. that way. You know, on the other side of the coin, I always like looking at both sides of an issue, and I, I probably learn more from people who, who are on the other side. But my Wall Street friends say, Cliff, look, those people were doing work that could be done in China for five bucks an hour. Totally get that. Absolutely. You know what? The, it's, their what problem. Yeah. it's their problem. They didn't educate themselves. Right. And and you know what? And what happens when robotics steps in? Yeah, I can, I'm a, I can get in there with you because I'm one that left. I'm, I'm, and so I understand that viewpoint. But it, it's a very... Uh, that and it, that's a very good argument. You know, it's such are, a yeah. It's, it's why are we obey these people? Why are we going to? Well, you know, the thing about it is, the only argument I would have to that argument was then you should have been upfront about it. You should have come to them and say, "We're going to make you compete against the Chinese, and you better go find your something else to do." And I'm going to give you a five year thing instead of this. You know, job, Bill Clinton, it's the best job for you. You know, I've got to do good things for you. All the Bill Clinton, I think they, 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 it didn't have to be deceptive. Right. And economists saw it coming from a mile away. For years, economists were warning, look, we're going to sell out to China and, yeah. and we're fucked, basically. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. it was, and that writing was on the wall long before it ever happened. And it's still, it's almost like, a fireman handing gasoline and a match to somebody <laughs> and saying, whatever you do, if you light this, it'll burn down your house, but you know, but you should burn down your house. It makes zero sense. Yes. Don't, I, it, don't uh, do this, but do this. It's <laughs> a know? human tragedy. Oh. It's a human civilization tragedy. What is going on? Because let me tell you, we didn't even to give you today. It's full of meth and, 
It's an embarrassment. We didn't even go to the dinner table with our shirt tails out. You know, there was a, there was almost an Amish standard, if you will. Um, sure. And, uh, you, you know, you said, yes, sir, no, ma'am. You, you, you were respectful. And I will tell you the truth. I mean, it is despicable what I, I see down there now. And I go down, I still go down a, a good bit because my dad is, my dad is there. And it just, hoping, it's when you take hope away from a human. That's right. Um, that That's, is, that is yeah. the worst thing you can do is take hope away from a human. That's right. And to convince them that they don't deserve hope. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really the, the other part of that equation. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a terrible situation and uh, it's going to take a lot of big checks and, and some creative leadership to get it back where those areas are back to a standard of living that is not impoverished. And we got people making a quarter of a million dollars a year fighting over whether Americans deserve 1400 more dollars over a year's worth of not working. It's insanity and it's disturbingly gross. Yeah, it it's is. So it is. gross. Um, and again, I write in the book, um, the standard of living they were asking for would be basically a working class standard of living, I guess what most people refer that to in today's term. It's not even middle class. It would be a working class. Um, and uh, so that's, uh, that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to tell the real story that what happened, I wanted to look at it from both sides of the view, the elite view, um, as well as the swamp view. And as I told the readers, I, I've been on both sides, but the swampers accepted me a lot more than the elite do. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Even though you're definitely what you're a bootstraps guy, everything you've done, you've done yourself, which it's for some reason that leaves bad taste in, in certain as you put it, elite smiles. The fact that you worked for your... You know what? That's a very... That's, uh, deep below the layers, there's a lot of that. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends that are in elite, but you know, I was just never um, you know, totally comfortable. And they weren't comfortable with me either because of, of the roots. You know, the roots make a difference. And uh, yes, and... I'm probably a little jealous of them, and they're probably a little jealous of me. <laughs> when you were I, riding into work, I wish I didn't have to work in tobacco fields. I think I'm still mad about that. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. I, when you were doing research for the book, I assume you went back and talked to quite a few people. Uh, what was what were their feelings? What did what were they articulating to you about their place and about the meth problem and about the automation and the cheap labor in China problem. You know, they, they, uh, I will tell you overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly they were for Trump and they're still for Trump. Um, 
that that would be one thing. I think Trump gives them a tiny speck of hope. And it could be false hope, but at least there's some hope they think. And although it's all, you know, a fantasy. But it's based on such, yeah, it's a lie. What is the hope? A lie. It's a fantasy. What, but these people don't read the newspapers. They don't look at Yahoo Finance. Um, you know, that, I mean, they, they don't do any of that. I mean, they, you know, catch a few sound bites. And who's good at that? Who's good at that? Yeah. Yeah. Trump. And so, Trump, yeah. And uh, the few good sound bites is what they're looking for. Um, they do know now that they were screwed. They do know that now. Hey, we were screwed. Um, it took them way too long to realize, realize that. And they don't know all the details, but they know I'm seeing on the world, everybody else is getting richer about all this money and the vast wealth. And my God, we're living in trailer parks. I mean, when I go home and I tell people white privilege, and they go, you know, Cliff, white, white privilege my ass. I'm making $8 an hour. I'm living in a trailer and my kids just moved in with me. You ask me, that's what they say. Interesting. Yeah, that I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. Do you think that it's a possibility? Uh, like you said, it takes bold ideas, but bold ideas fall flat on people that aren't interested in bold ideas. If we, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you fooled me once, fooled me twice. Yeah, you know. It's like Hoover, or Herbert Hoover coming along with this, you know, chicken in every pot scenario. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an optimist. So, I, But because of the deterioration of the education system mm-hmm. and having to rebuild that back is, and then you have all the other, you know, when we were also during that time where there was stability and jobs, you didn't have the internet. You didn't have the, the bad vices coming in from everywhere, okay? So it's a, it, it is a complex problem that we've gotten ourselves into. And you know what? They may have to all die. All the towns may have to basically die off. If you, had, if you put a gun to my head right now and said, tell me the solution, those areas will eventually die off and the people will migrate more to the cities. Well, they have the skills to, to be able to do anything once they get there. That's you mentioned earlier. And I actually talk about this a lot with my friends, the, the next great extinction, the, the fall of the fall of our empire, which I feel like in some ways we're on the precipice of, which is a weird irony because of all the futurism happening. How do you, how does an empire fall when AI is about to step up everyone's game? And then what, are we going to be, you know, subservient to all that? Elon Musk trying to get us, you know, off to Mars. And well, you know, it's like, it's like moving into a, a, you know, an upside down mortgage moving to Mars. I I would say there's never been a time since 1860 and that we've been as close to that possibility. I mean, you have to say 1860 states were succeeding from the union. 
that was more severe than now. Uh, but other than that, at least since then, um, and but at the same time, you know, if they don't screw up, they've screwed up a lot of things. But if they don't screw up, in America, if you've got a great idea, you can still go start something and build something. You know, and that's really was maybe the whole genius of everything. Uh, of saying, go do it if you want to do it. The American dream, in other the words. American dream. Go, go, you can go, if you, I really think this, no matter what color you are or what gender you are, now getting there is that there's certainly different hurdles and paths, but once you get there, and if you have a good idea in America, I still think America is a really good place to, to build something. Mm -hmm. uh, if you got something good, and it's, you know, that's why you, if you talk to Uber drivers from Nigeria, they go, there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah. You, can, you can't do this in every country, what we can do. Mm -hmm. We take it for granted sometimes. But if they ever screw that up, then we are screwed. But I, I, I still think uh, as long as they don't screw that up, we got a great chance. But that's the thing that you're speaking to. Uh, the, the Nigerian Uber driver in America sees the hope. They have the hope, whereas somebody who's lived here has forgotten, has forgotten uh, what that means. Very, and it's felt like everything valid. has been taken from them. Very, very, very valid. And, you know, did, did, did Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, really put them on a welfare program when he says, I'll make sure you get a job? You just vote Democratic um, versus... You know, Hoover, uh, we, we hate Hoover, but Hoover was basically, that's not my job. That's not my job to find you a job. Uh, obviously, Roosevelt made the right decision and Hoover was wrong. But it, it, it almost like they came too dependent upon that job, that job they got too comfortable. Uh, sure. Well, we live beyond our means all the time. Most, most Americans live far yeah. beyond their means. They're in debt up to their eyeballs. For things that they don't need. I mean, you don't need a 50 inch television for God's sakes, but it makes, it's that, it's that dinging of the bell in your brain that at least that feels good. Oh, I just bought that thing and I can show my friends that I have that thing. And that little, you know, the little mouse dinging the bell in your brain. Oh yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's the, that's the American way. Um, so uh, redneck reverie. Um, it was also fun. Uh, not, Fun's not the right word. Um, it was rewarding to go back. And I, I mixed in a good bit of my childhood in the book. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and what we did. And, under, you know, we were, we were pure rednecks. But back then, rednecks was something different than it is today. Right. You got redneck because you worked outside and you were a hard worker. And yeah, it was that, that was the redneck was yeah. you know, literally it was from sun on your neck from, from work. Labor. Labor. Yeah. Right. So redneck then was, you know, uh, the, what we ate, what we listened to as music, what we drank. Um, you know, it was either moonshine or iced tea. If you, if you, so it was, uh, that, and today, redneck is something totally different. 
And as I write in the book, it's the only underclass that Hollywood can make fun of and nobody gets upset. Right. Um, and so that, that, I, I, that was pretty, that was rewarding going back and thinking about that during those times and then tying it into the book. And the, the whole thing is we had a family crisis and we were with my dad and, but that night of the family crisis, uh, you know, my dad caught a train to High Springs, Florida, and that was the hope. As bad as everything was, and it was bad, as bad as it could get, he had a job going to High Springs, Florida, which means his kids could possibly go to college. You know, he was, so that, that was the difference. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Did you get a lot of pushback from the book uh, from either side after um, it came out? From the other side, saying you know, uh, the one- Democrats think it's all pro-Trump, and it's it's actually some not so nice things about Trump in the book, which said, which basically said, since he was elected, nothing changed down there. There was not one single thing. But they, you know, some of the Democrats hate him so much, and maybe for good reason or bad reason, they hate him so much. Just his name on that book, <laughs> I think they they push back. Yeah, I get you know, that. It was uh, so there. There was pushback from that. The you know the Republicans. Um, I wish I was more pro-Trump, but they. But I tell you who really liked the book. Uh, the who really loved the book were the elites, El- children of elites. You know, I got I got a message yesterday from a twenty-five-year-old. She went to Ivy League. Uh, her name is Emily Dardeman, and she's like, you've changed my life forever because I will now look at Trump voters as something different than what I did. We had no idea this went on. Those are the people that loved it, were millennial elites, I guess you would say, or uh, people in the elite circles that just didn't know. Do you think there's a sense within the uber wealthy communities that if they pooled together, they could save save everything? Or do you think it's more like, oh, that ship sailed. Let them eat cake. <laughs> no, let them eat cake. Yeah, it's more of that. I think, I think it, it helped them understand. I think a lot of people like an Emily Darden, Dardeman, she probably thought any Trump voter was a stupid person. I think that's troublesome. And and I think the book showed her where the journey it was it was it was it was a long long journey. So and that's really because I think if I can get people to think that way, if I can get a maybe in the future they will better come up with a solution. If you don't know mm-hmm. what the pain or the problem is, you can't come up with a solution. So that I think that I think hopefully that has some impact. And if you're not willing to listen to that, that's that's the thing that is hard is when people just write off. There's a reason why people do what they do, and if you write it off before you even hear what it is, you may not agree with it, but you will never 
come to an understanding and we won't get anywhere. We're just the dog chasing his tail on a warm night, as they would say in the South. Right. right. (laughs) You know, know, the person that really understood the problem the best was Bernie Sanders. Right. And he got no support in those regions because, or very little, not no, but very little support because Bernie was talking about join my revolution. These people don't want to be part of a revolution. They don't even want to go to a PTA meeting. So Bernie has got to change his messaging, and he just doesn't know. You should send him your book. Uh, I, uh, AOC read it and loved it, and I, and I could see AOC actually, she's got the communication skills and the integration skills to do something with it. But if you remember Trump's first convention speech, he said specifically, he did such a great job communicating with them. I will take care of this myself. And that was what they, that's what they wanted. I will handle these problems. And that was hitting home runs with them. That's yeah, what because they, it's a lot of work to try and pull out of that stuff, if it's even possible at all for some of them. Yeah, so. they, they don't want to be part of the political process. So um, I, Trump, knew, Trump knew what he was doing as far as communication skills. 100%. I agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cliff, how can uh, people find you out there in the world? Well, they can find me um, on email, uh, cliff at cliffco.com, C-L-I-F-F-C-O.com. So it's cliff at cliffco.com. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's still the, the, the most effective way to get to me. Uh, if somebody sends me an email, I'm happy to send them my cell phone, um, give up my cell phone to them if they rather rather talk. They can um, uh, reach me on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, but I prefer email would be the best way. Okay. And I'll put links to that on HeyHumanPodcast.com on the links page so people can find it easily. And the book is on Amazon, of course. Uh, they can find And you book. have other books as well. So make sure that. Yeah, we'll... I've, got two other, I've got two other business books. And I can tell you the business books were boring in comparison to the feedback I've gotten on, on the Redneck Reverie. You know, I think the word redneck attract attracted a good uh, uh, people are interested in that culture you know elites and well i know several people are gonna get this book after they hear this i'm gonna definitely read it myself and uh send it to a couple people too so i would uh please do and let me always let me know feedback i love feedback good and bad okay read it you can certainly reach out and ping me and I look, I look, thank you. This has been just a lot of fun. I hope to do it again. Okay. Thank you, Cliff. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And this has been a fascinating conversation. I have my favorite kind. <laughs> good. Very good. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 Rate and review. Hey human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.